Welcome to Teachings in the Air. air, air. podcast with Jerry Oldman, coming to you from Hunkameenum Territory with a podcast series about indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what health means. This is Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman and Brandon Manitoba. This podcast is titled Quasanchute in my language. You know, there's different, I hear elders saying, oh, that's the way we, the word we'd use for vision quest. But I know it also means training. And I would, elders would see me on the reserve at my sweat lodge. Ah, Kwasanchutapa, they would say, oh, you're training yourself good. So I wanted to call this one Kwasanchut because it's about training and about to help people, you know, that maybe are into recreation and sports and, um, you know, to, because sports and recreation is healing too. And also, you know, the main thing is to inspire others to live a wellness way of life. To develop a life plan that will develop and maintain their mind, their body, and their spirit. That way, it becomes a way to live, not a six-week program or a two-week program, but a way to live. Because I believe when I heard the stories from my elders about our people, I would be in awe because in my mind they're like world-class athletes. I go, whoa, their physical strength. I'd hear stories of men carrying a whole deer on their shoulders carrying 20 sockeye salmon and I struggle carrying 10, you know. (laughs) So I think about this physical fitness level of our people. We'd hear these incredible stories about hunters running miles to get to the hunting ground and bring back game. I heard the stories of the physical fitness feats of my people, Stetlium people. And today, my understanding, it comes from Kuzanchut, train yourself. 
find a way to train yourself. I was so fortunate to hear about the hunters. And when I traveled the country, people would tell me about their hunters. So I started to have a point of reference of the fitness level of our people before contact. And I would hear people talking and sharing training methods of how to be strong. And they understood that not only you need to be physically strong, but also mentally strong. That your spirit needs to be strong to accomplish what they accomplished. Just a quick example about my great-grandfather. My uncles would tell me he hunted grouse without a rifle. Did he catch him by hand? And I go, whoa! Because I remember hunting grouse and we'd have a 22 or a rifle. Because we go where the grouse are and we get near and they'd be flying off and their wings are beating so fast. So when my uncle told me this story about my great-grandfather, I was going, whoa! You know, the awareness and the physical strength and endurance and the speed to catch a grouse by hand as it's flying in the air. Now that is something. You know, I'd get startled when the grouse flies off. You know, so I know that all of that today, my understanding, that comes from Kuzanjut. Train yourself. I have other stories, and I'll tell them as we go along here in the podcast about how our people were and how cool that is to me to think about that, about the hunters, the berry pickers, the fish cutters, and how quick and efficient they were. But to follow the the way of teachings in the air, first off, a little talk about where I see us at today. Where are we today? In my view, we are basically in the shape or condition that equals the demands from our lifestyle. So no longer do we have to go out to break a day to go to the hunting grounds. And sometimes that would be miles away from where we live. And it takes endurance and physical fitness to do that. Or to be up all night in the fishing ground when the fish are there. Or to walk to the top of the mountains to gather the berries and the wild onions and the wild potatoes. At that time, the physical fitness level was high 
And part of it was for survival, but I think a large part of it was that's the way they wanted to be. That's the way they were trained to have that high level of strength, endurance, and speed, because that's a measure of fitness. Do you have strength in your muscles? What kind of endurance do you have? Can you go for hours or days? And when you have that, you add those together, you can have speed in what you're doing, effective speed. So that saying, you know, if we don't use it, we lose it. And I see that today because of our lifestyle, where we no longer, as boys and young men, have to split cords of wood to keep us warm during the winter or to pack water even. Everything's at our fingertips. When it turn up the heat, you go to the thermostat. Tick, 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 tick. It's warm again. So it doesn't take too much fitness to do that. I started this way because I don't want you to feel bad if, you, if your fitness level's not high. Because I don't want people to feel shame about themselves. I want them to understand so then you can take action about taking care of your mind, body, and spirit. Because you think about it, yes, we are fit to the level of what it's required to survive today compared to our ancestors. So in a way, it's like an oxymoron. You'd think that we have more time now for fitness activities to keep ourselves strong because we need to just turn up the heat turn the tap for water, go to a Safeway for a steak. <laughs> you know, we don't have to walk up the mountain anymore or paddle on the lake or the ocean. So we do not require physical strength to survive today, to gain food, shelter, all the basic needs to live. Because of this lifestyle, we are weakening in mind, body, and spirit. Everyone knows this, I believe, in society. And we look at mental fitness. We, start, we have started to lose our alertness and our awareness because of our mental fitness. I was telling uh, two of my nephews today, or yesterday, all my phone numbers are in my iPhone, and at one time when I was 27 years of age, I memorized hundreds of phone numbers, and I could phone them up. Treatment centers, government offices, band offices, friends, you know, I had their phone numbers in my head my mental fitness was pretty good then. And I go to a circle of 50 people, and they'd all introduce themselves, and I could remember their name. You know, my mental fitness was pretty high. I was alert. So in a way, 
all of us in society, we have this mental laziness thing happening. And, you know, it's become a process addiction for people. Facebook was a big addiction for everyone, not just indigenous people, for human beings in general. I've heard, I know, I've been to communities and a husband and wife would be fighting because of the amount of time on Facebook. So I know that's affecting our mental health today for some. So we need to take control of our mind. We need to, as individuals, I need to. I know that. I know I get mentally lazy. And I need to remind myself over and over again to take care of little details. And it's in my mind. Like I want to have a life of order and process where I know step one, step two, step three, and do them in that order. I've been taught when we go fishing that there's that process, step one. Get your knives together, repair the net, fix the pole. You got your food, you got your sleeping bag. And you go there and you build your drying rack. Once that's all set, and your knives are sharp, then you put the net in the river. Then you pull out the salmon and you pack them and you treat them with respect and you... And I think of myself standing by the river with a dip net waiting for the sockeye. I had fitness in my mind of patience waiting for those salmon, but I also had physical fitness. And I'd also, thank goodness, learned about ceremony to prepare myself for those salmon. So where, where are we now with mental fitness? I think that the self-talk at some point in our lives becomes negative. We learn to beat ourselves up and question and doubt ourselves and fall into a self-defeating way of life. Say, no, I can't do that. Or if you make an agreement with yourself to exercise every day and you don't do that, then you start saying, oh, I'm such a loser. I can't even do that. Our mind is a wonderful, our brain is a wonderful organ, and it also needs to be exercised. I heard a saying, garbage in, garbage out. There's garbage that goes in your mind, get rid of it right away. The trap is that we start to convince ourselves that we cannot change. This is it, this is our life. And I say, no, it is not your life. 
you start to talk to yourself in a different manner. Where are we not with our bodies? Remember that I told you we're reflecting our lifestyle today where physical fitness is not demanded to survive. There are people in our indigenous society that are fit. They're involved in all kinds of recreation and sports or they're into running or canoeing. They have core strength. They have fitness. But we also have a group or individuals that are inactive and obviously will not have strength, endurance, or speed in physical activity and will be prone because of this to diseases, to depression and anxiety. And we need to help these ones with their body by being patient with them and teaching them and explaining in a way that they understand about that body, to look after that body of theirs. That it's a gift to enjoy life that we have this body, these eyes and these ears and our voice to enjoy life, to see beauty, to hear beauty, to taste beauty, to touch beauty that our bodies are meant for that. And therefore, we must look after our body. I love talking to children and to youth, because I'll tell them, sit like an eagle, don't be a slouch, you know, and I see them actually changing from my eyes. I remember this little girl in this northern community in BC, I said, I was telling a story about sit like an eagle, and I looked and her back was straight and her legs were dangling from her chair all the way through the session. Next day she comes and sits down again and she's sitting like an eagle. <laughs> Whoa, she's got it. <laughs> I hope she carries that for the rest of her life. That's the beginning of taking care of your body. Times sure have changed. I remember when I was young, my uncle's telling me that, to sit straight. Stand straight, don't be a slouch. You know, when I, when they even encouraged me not to have my hands in my pocket. I don't hear that so much today. And I see youngsters with their spine curved, leaning over one way, you know. And I know that will be hard on them when they get old, that their body will pay for it. The other area that where we are today is our diet. And I think of our people living on a 300-mile diet. All the food they ate come from a 300-mile radius of where they lived. When life was like that, their body was healthy, disease-free. I know of communities now 
that put it in their mind, families and communities, to live on a traditional diet as much as possible, and they start to see the impact on that diabetes in their family as it starts to lessen just by the change of diet. When they brought the salt, the sugar, and the white flour to us, it started to hurt our pancreas. And we start to develop diabetes in large numbers. Carbohydrates today are now the comfort food. Mac and cheese, fries, you know, all these nice tasty little things, you know, it's our comfort food. I've been there and I still go there at times. And it shows in the lack of muscle tone in some of the people. And then we have people with weight issues, underweight, overweight. And um, we don't know what, what we're meant to be. Because I don't believe in judging people by appearance. You know, I, I ran marathons and I'd see people, I'd wonder, how did they do that? <laughs> you know, because they don't look like a, a world champion marathoner. But they still make it over 42 kilometers. So they had the strength. And they had the mental will to do it, the strength to do it. We have come to a place, some of us, some people where we're overfed and undernourished. Not enough vitamins and good minerals in the food we're eating, so we try to fill that void in our body because our body is asking for more vitamins, more omega-3, more of the good stuff. And our body will keep asking for food even though we're full because of empty calories in the food. Then there's a, the ones that are beyond our control, and those are the sicknesses and diseases that come through the air and hit our body. So we must be careful and take care of this body. Our spirit, which, which is our life force, it's life. Now, often I thought about my spirit. Where does it come from? <laughs> you know, <laughs> of course, we learn about the birds and the bees, you know, when my mom and dad got together, and here's Jerry all of a sudden. The only reason why I'm here is because I got a spirit in my body holding it together. When it leaves my body, my body goes to the earth and I go to the spirit world. So the spirit is a gift of life passed down from generation to generation to generation. 10,000 years ago, there was someone walking around that looked like Jerry Oldman. And was probably giving teachings in the air too, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And I think of that at times, and I say, yeah, I look over my left shoulder, and I can see all the ladies in my family for thousands of years. And I look over my right shoulder, and I can see all the men in my family for thousands of years. 
And the thought that nourishes me is not one of them gave up, ever. If one of them did, I wouldn't be here today as who I am, because they would have broke that chain, that gift. You know, like when I ask a question, where are we now in regards to our spirit? And we understand today, and we hear it more and more. I hear it in colleges and health meetings and justice meetings about the historic trauma, the unnatural lifestyles we led because of colonization. This has taken a beating on the spirits of our people. Some of our people. I keep reminding myself, don't generalize, Jerry. You make people feel bad that are doing good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't want to do that. But the ones that experience this trauma, like beatings or assault, this has taken the spark out of their eyes. That's the measure of a person's spirit when you look in their eyes. And if that spark's not there, that gleam, we know that spirit is weakened. And when that's weakened, we're not walking with purpose and intention when we go out into the world. You know this, uh, now when I watch people walk, some of them, they're shuffling their heads down, the shoulders are slumped, and they don't have that purpose. I'm going to get to a point A to point B, and I'm going to do this, and I get to point B to help myself and to help my family. In this state, we do not know how to stand up for our rights in an effective way how to stand up our rights for food, for food fishing, for hunting, for education, for all the rights that belong to us. Speak our language, do our ceremony, do our rituals. And that's where the nourishment for our spirit was. That's where it was. The spirit sickness is serious. And in our health systems is overlooked from my point of view. It's not recognized. It's quickly people will say, oh, it's a physical sickness or that's a mental health issue. And not even think about the spirit. Indigenous healers know this and probably other healers, like Reiki masters and acupuncturists and people like that. The ones with an angry spirit are reckless with their lives and the lives of other people, quick to swear and put people down, quick to hit people, quick to gossip, about people. That's an angry spirit. 
and it'll hurt them in the lives of their family and community. And they're not even aware of this. When their spirit is angry, they make mistakes right in their own home. And some of these mistakes are difficult to repair. When the spirit is damaged and weakened, life becomes unhappy, that feeling of hopelessness, and for some even hateful. So all of these things of horror we're at now leads to the conclusion that we need a way out. We need to start to teach each other and support each other to quizantute, to train, to live a wellness way of life. And remember, wellness means the active pursuit of ways to develop our mind, body, and spirit. I've had the honor to travel across Canada to work and share ideas and knowledge with people in regards to healing and wellness. And when I would do this, some of the elders would tell me of how it used to be. And I feel they're telling me that because we can go back to it. I was in the West Coast listening to a man talk about the whale hunters. Hunting whales. And it was a group effort off these cedar canoes that they carved without metal that were perfect watercraft, hard to capsize them, fast, efficient canoes. Just that in itself shows a healthy people. They talked about the harpoon man and how it was a passed down from generation to generation that one family would provide the harpoon man. And he was taught how to make the shaft of the harpoon and the blade of the harpoon. And he had to train for years before they go after the whale. And I thought of this way, oh my gosh, Kwasanchut, training. The men that paddled the canoe had to train as well and keep themselves pure. No negativity. And I'd hear these stories and they're so beautiful to visualize. This is a man with, I've seen pictures of the harpoon man standing there with a huge harpoon, straight, clear look in his eyes comfortable in his own skin. They say often he'd have to train in isolation to keep his mind strong, to purify himself. And the paddlers be out there paddling the canoe because they have to go find a whale and keep up with the whale. So they had to be very fit. And I'd hear about, you know, when we come into inland, 
and I'm from the Coast Mountains. And my elder told me it's part of puberty rights for men. They train them to run a deer down by foot. It's one of their tests to arrive to be manhood hunter. This would be for the hunters and how they trained them. He says that they would bring this young man to this steep hill and they'd instruct him to find a round rock. And I think of that rock as probably 50 pounds or heavier. And he'd have to pack it up the hill, develop his grip strength, his shoulders, arms, and his legs. Then he'd get to the top of the hill and he'd have to run. These series of streams he has to bathe and scrub his muscles with branches, fir, cedar, or hemlock. Scrub his muscles and go in the cold water and stay in there to develop his mind. So they're running, bathing in these streams up in the mountains. Then at the end of their run, they'd have to find a sapling as tall as themselves. Sapling is a teenage tree. Then he'd start at the top and break it down, fist by fist length, till it was on the ground, developing the strength of his hands and his forearms. Then he'd run back to where the rock is and he'd throw it over the bank and his job was to race that rock to the bottom of the hill. When I visualized this, I see a young man with moccasins, not hiking boots, moccasins, leaping and jumping down a steep hill trying to pass this rock. Of course, it took him a while, but when he finally beat it, they knew he was ready. When he was ready, they'd take him out and there'd be a crew of men with him. And they would line a path for the deer so that it wouldn't veer off to where this young man was in the chase down the hill. So the young man would be chasing the deer and he'd get to the hill and he'd start to run down a steep hill. And the deer's got thin legs, so they had to be careful going down there. And this young man would leap and run after this deer going down the hill and catch up to him and grab him by the neck and fall on top of him. And as they're falling, he'd snap the neck of that deer because his hands were strong in his forearms. Then he arrived. He's a hunter. When I thought of that, because I know part of that training involved that Kalza or the sweat lodge, and they would make it so hot in there, you know, that when he got into the cold water, he couldn't feel it. You know, and they would make him stay in there, stay in there, so his mind will get strong. 
and it'll purify. Then go into the cold water and hang on to the rocks and water swift and submerge yourself and stay there as long as you can. Would develop their strength of their mind and their body. I can withstand this cold. I can do this. And the running was for cardiovascular strength. I imagined after the elder told me this, I was living with him. Imagine that man playing football or soccer and how they would be today. I go, whoa. You know that that is part of our way out is to challenge ourselves. It was on these journeys that I realized that there's a common denominator for all of us. The poverty and health issues in this country. And it was on the East Coast where I, I went through, you know, depression, serious depression. I said, well, I'm done. I'm not going to help people anymore. I'm done. I'm toast. And I freed myself and uh, through music. I heard this music and I was weeping. And there I was controlling this depression, this anger, this fear, this self-doubt that was in my body and was paralyzing me bringing me to the point of quit. I can't do this. And my dad and my uncles would say, I don't want to hear you say can't. And I was going against their words, and I say, no, I'm done. I want to quit. And I told the people that hired me, let me go. And they wouldn't let me go. They said, you're doing good, Jerry. You don't see it, but you're doing good. When I heard that music and I started weeping, the thought came to me, these are all man-made problems, therefore we can fix them. And I've been hanging on to that mantra now for years. When I run into hard situations, I say, this is man-made, we can fix it, we can beat it. And I know we can. It was at the same community that the elders talked to me there. And they were fluent speakers and they did not speak English. And they put up this big double wide teepee and invited me there and there was elders from that community that I'd rarely see. They didn't walk around in the street. They were out in the land. And I seen them. And they were asking me questions about BC, the West Coast. And I told them about our conundrum, that we have violence, we have sickness, we have suicide, we have large amounts of people going to jail. So I told them, I told them the truth, and part of that was, and we do have people that just refuse to give up, speak the language, do the ceremony, hunt, fish, we have those people too. When I fin they finished asking me questions, they asked him, ask him if he's got a question for us, because we've been asking them questions, you know, for an hour or two. And I said, yes, I have one question. 
Ask them if they know why we are the way we are, why we're suffering today. So my translator talked to them, and they were talking amongst themselves. And their head, their spokesperson says to the translator, tell them we know. And right away I lightened up because I want to know why we're like this. And that elder says, we're like this because we're breaking our own laws. As soon as I heard those words, I understood. Because until that moment, I was blaming Canada and the church and some of my own people, which is wrong. We broke. We start to break our own laws around food. Then we can break other laws about being with people, being with water, being with air. We have laws for everything. They're not written down in a law, law book. It's planted in our minds, and we all knew it, and they were very simple, very common sense and basic protocols. Elders eat first. Babies and mothers eat second. Those are protocols. You make something, you give it away, and you give it away to an elder or non-family member first. So we learn generosity, and we start to develop relationships by give my hand drum to somebody that's not a family member, that family's going to help my family. That's such a beautiful way. It's a beautiful teaching. I've seen people at drum-making workshops. They don't have the teaching. What they hear, the first one is, you have to give it away, that first one. So they give it to their sister. Or someone in their family, which is good, they're still giving away. But to develop relationships in our community and strengthen them with other families, we must give to them. Then they'll give to us. So, part of the way out is to start to learn about our laws, how to treat our own body, how to treat other people how to treat all of our food, the water, the air, the trees. When we embrace our laws that guided our people over generations, it is in this way that we start to kwasanjut with the intention of helping people, being self-reliant, of having a good, healthy pride about our family. That is, you know, the way out. I was up in the carrier country, and one of the stories I heard about men running moose down in the snow, cutting their tendons with flint knives, so the people can eat. And my friend from there was saying the hunter was given the choicest pieces of meat because the people recognized that he's keeping them alive in the coldest winter. So they made sure that they acknowledged him 
I said, what a beautiful way. You know, and then, of course, they would give the elders the liver, the heart, you know, the favorites. We take care of each other. And then they're going to teach us how to train. I remember when my uncles first started telling me, you know, you run. I used to run when I started to listen to my elders, really listen to them. I'd run for 14 miles with water in my mouth. So I trained myself to breathe through my nose only. Then if I accidentally swallowed or spat out the water, I'd have to go back and get water and then go again. So sometimes I'd run farther. And I believe that helped me with my marathon running that I took up after I turned 50 years of age. And I used to run with rocks in my hand. You know, and I'd go bathe in the cold water and submerge myself and hang on, try and stay under there as long as I can. I believe that helped me to strengthen my mind to cover the 42 kilometers of a marathon. I was careful with my diet, I quit smoking, I quit chewing tobacco, all of those things that I used to do. And I took the running seriously. Not to beat people, but to be healthy, to have endurance, strength, and eventually speed for, because of my age at 50, you know, I would, I would still feel competitive with my age group and feel bad when other 50-year-old guys beat me in women, <laughs> you know, but I didn't let it stop me. When I first put it in my mind that I was in Vancouver at the, and I was going to run the 10 kilometer run in 1994 at um, UBC. And I used to run a lot at residential school. That's where I first ran a marathon, was in residential school. The brother there seen two of us, we'd run every day. And he'd time us and we'd be out for hours running. And he says to us, you know what, I think you guys could run a marathon. And he started every morning before we went running, he'd bring and he'd put our feet in salt water to toughen up our skin. And that's where I learned to put Vaseline on my nipples and my other parts of my body so it won't chafe when I'm running. So that brother taught us something. And we ran a marathon. Teenagers. So I knew I could do it. When I turned 50, I'd, you know, been through addictions, through tobacco addiction, you know, drugs and booze and beat up my body. When I started to remember those Kwisanchut ways, I started to apply it to my marathon running training. I'd cold water bathe, I'd sweat, watch my diet, and I run early in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, I'm running from 70th and Granville in Vancouver to UBC, running along there, carrying rocks in my hand, breathing through my nose. And I was consistent at it. When I first started, because I learned this when I was 
younger, when I left residential school, because I wanted to run again and I'd get lazy and I'd make up excuses. So I learned to put my sneakers right beside my bed in my running gear. So the first thing I do is I put them on and I'm out the door. Otherwise, I have to go to another room. It's a good excuse. Oh, I don't think I'll go running today. It's amazing how fast you can make up your mind, <laughs> you know, not to do something. So I learned to trick myself. And I also learned that if I tell as many people as I know that I'm running a marathon, that I better do it because they're going to be asking me, oh, how was that marathon? And if I didn't run it, I'd have to feel ashamed and say, oh, I didn't do it. So it pushed me to train, to push myself, to challenge myself. And that's what Kwasanchut's about. I'd go and I'd run, and I start to set times for myself, challenges, personal challenge. I remember and I, I was running and I wanted, I wanted to do a half marathon under two hours. And I went to one at Kwantlen, out of Vancouver there. And it's a small one. And I figure, oh, maybe this is where I beat my two-hour mark. So I went there, and it's a small marathon. So <laughs> they didn't have all of the kilometers marked. So I'm guessing. So I picked up my speed too fast, and I started to burn out by the time I got to the end. I got... You know, there's about three kilometers left, and all of a sudden there's people standing in a clump, these marathon, half-marathoners, on a trail. And they're making noise, so I catch up to them. And this one guy turns to me, and he points, and he says, there's a bear over there under that cedar tree. And I looked, and there's this great big black bear sitting there with a Slurpee cup in his hand. <laughs> you know, he's trying to get the sugar out of that Slurpee cup. And I said, whoa. So we're waving, trying to shoo it away, and it just sit there. And then one white guy says to me, he says, hey. And he looks at me, because I'm First Nations, and I must know all about these animals. <laughs> you know? And he says, should we run as a group? And I said, yes. That way, the safety in numbers, you know, and might be scared of us. So let's run as a group. So we started running. And those people left me behind. And I was laughing. I said, hey, you guys, we're supposed to run as a group. But they left me behind. And I passed that bear, and I looked at it, sitting there with a Slurpee cup, great big Slurpee cup, you know. And he looks at me, and he carries on, and I pass him. And I figure, oh, I'm okay. The next thing I know, two of the organizers of the half marathon were running towards me. And they stopped and they pick up these big branches and they're hitting the trail, hollering, hey, hey, hey. And I look and that bear had come up on the trail. And I didn't know if he's going to come after me. But one of the organizers, after I got my finisher medal, <laughs> you know, he says to me, I just thought I went, I come over and I was just wondering what you were thinking about that bear. And I said, oh, I was glad that he didn't come after me because I didn't have anything left. I wouldn't have been able to get away from him, you know. <laughs> 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 
But I beat that two-hour mark at uh, Kwantlen, and it's a hilly half. And I, I sort of doubted myself. I said, I don't think I'll beat it here. And I was getting, you know, a kilometer out, and this big white guy comes up beside me, and he says, I'm trying to beat two hours. He says, can you help me? I said, oh, I'm trying to. So I took off, and I could hear him behind me. And I kept, wanted to stay ahead of him. And we crossed the line at 1.59. And I celebrated, and I said, whoa, I done it. So in Kwasanchut, it's about training yourself to be the best you, not better than others. If you happen to be, that's okay. Your relatives will be proud of you. If I see one of my nephews do good, I'm proud to say, that's my nephew. He trains hard, takes care of himself. So that's what Kwasanchut is about taking care of yourself, challenging yourself, and watching every day what you eat and what you do, and it becomes your life. And one of my elders was training. He says, I was on chute. He says, I cold water bathe. I dive under there, and I get round rocks and scrub my muscles with it. It's cold water in the winter. I fast, I cleanse my, my insides, you know, and my, my blood. He came to see me, I was having a sweat. He said, I just come up here to tell you not to run away from anything, ever. You hear something, see something, you know, don't run away from it. It might seem scary or whatever, but he said, I believe. None of that is when we do spiritual way. And he gave me an example from himself. He says, I was training. Ike was Anjut, sweat lodge, cold water bath, run, medicines. And he says, I went fasting up in the mountain. And he said, you know, before I went, people knew I was strong. I left 100 pounds of potatoes in one hand above my head, easy. He said, I was physically strong. And I look at him and go, whoa, he's my dad's friend. Clear eyes, kind, generous. And he's an old man when he's talking to me. He says, I come up here to tell you because you're Kwasanchut and I'm glad you're Kwasanchut. And I wanted to tell you, don't run away from anything. He says, I was fasting up in the mountains and I see this rainbow coming towards me. It's spinning. It comes and it flies around me and it talks to me in my, in my mind. Says I'm your friend. I'm your. I'm your power. So he, the elder says, um, "What can I do when I have you?" And he says, "Anything." And he says, "I don't know why I said this, but he says, can I kill people?'" And he says, "Yes." 
So he says, I got afraid. So I sent it away. After I realized my mistake and I kept trying and Kwasanchut, but it wouldn't come back. So he says, you don't be afraid of anything happens. So this Kwasanchut is for everybody. Athletes, healers, students, teachers, mums, dads, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces, grandchildren, for everybody. And as a guarantee, once you do this, you can handle stress better in your life. You can enjoy. You can travel and walk all over the country and enjoy it. That's a good benefit. After years and years of work, I finally have an opportunity to travel the world. Once a year, I go somewhere. And I'm so glad I can walk that I still have some strength and endurance. My speed is I'm losing that. I'm 70 years old, but I can still walk. And we walk the streets, we walk the hills, and we look at the land and the people, my wife and I. And I believe that it's possible because of Kwasanchut, training the mind, the body, and the spirit. Because it's, uh, you know, all of those areas are equally important in Kwasanchut. So we must pay attention to every area of mind, body, and spirit. And then the rewards will come. You know, I enjoy watching success. I used to volunteer and work with children in track and field training and boxing and fastball. And I enjoyed doing that. My goal was to get the best out of each individual person. Not to be better than others, but just to leave their best in the field or wherever we were. I watched some of my athletes, young, lose self-confidence because of appearance. We went to a track and field meet and all the other communities had matching shorts, sneakers, socks, tops. And here's my kids and I in our ratty res sweatshirts and t-shirts and different color shorts. And I, my kids, I shouldn't call them kids, they're children and teenagers. One of them came up and said, we're not gonna participate, Jerry. Oh, why? Look at them. Some of them even got, you know, those running with spikes on them, those running track and field shoes. And they said, we're not going to. We talked about it. So I called them, and we're in a circle. And I told them, we're all here, and we're all going to win. And they're looking at me. And I said, I'm telling you what we're going to win. We're going to win a friend today by doing our best out there. 
And I said, uh, the first ones to run are the older ones, and I'm going to run with them. 100 meter, I said. So you guys watch me. I'm going to go out there and do my best, and I'm going to get a friend there. So I ran against these men in Vancouver Island. And they're soccer players. They kicked my butt about <laughs> 100 meters. But uh, my team seen me out there trying my best. And they did. One of my age groups got first, second, third. I was so proud of them. We got our share of ribbons and we're a small team. So this mental attitude will stop some people. So we need to encourage them to do their best. That's what's required. Don't think of others. Don't compare yourself to others. Just do your best. Then you have surprises when you do your best. Because some of my children had those surprises. That they could compete with these people and the appearance didn't matter. Just do your best. Oh, I'm so proud of them. They went out. And they got friends. They started to talk to the other children. And that night, some days at my tent door, so I went out and there's people from the island laying salmon at the front of my tent. Here's to feed your team. I was going, whoa, <laughs> you know. And they said, we know you come from a long ways, it must cost you money and gas and stuff, so we want to help you. To me, that's part of Kwasanjut, training yourself to be respectful of your fellow competitors and of yourself and each other. You know, and then that is Kwasanjut, and that's an indigenous way. And it's a good way. So if you're competing, I encourage you to go to your elders and ask about some of the training methods. I, I shared some with you today. The cardiovascular to my people was the most important. Running was a big thing. Like, I, we're going to gamble playing stick game. Elders say, guys, go for a run. You know? <laughs> How is that going to help me gambling? But they were adamant in that, that running was good for you. Or speed walking. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or go bath. Or have a sweat. And it's all about preparation. Preparing yourself. Focusing your mind. This is going to be my best today. And if I get hurt, that's just the way it is. When I started running the marathon, I'd heard about the wall. So I started to prepare myself for that. And I'd read about people that hit the wall and they'd say, you know what, I just didn't have anything left. I couldn't carry on, I had dropped out. There's nothing left in my tank. And I knew that, so I said, well, one of these days I'm gonna get like that and I'm not gonna be ashamed of myself. 
if I hit the wall. It just means that I didn't control my running, or maybe something happened and I'm not going to be able to finish. So I kept watching for that, and it hit me in Barcelona, Spain. And I'm running in a marathon there, and I was raising money for Diabetes Canada. And they sent me there, paid for my flight, my hotel, and my meals, because I was raising money, and I raised over $5,000 for Diabetes Canada. Because my relatives were getting diabetes, and I said, I'm going to have to do something about this. And I remember, and I was running in Barcelona. <laughs> and I, I don't know, two or three miles out, I hit the wall. This boat finished. And I stopped, and I had my hands and my knees. And I said, this is the wall, Jerry. This is it. You got nothing left. And I hear these kids, bravo, Canada, bravo. And I had a tunic on it said, Diabetes Canada. There's little Spanish kids. And they lined up on the road. And they had their little hands up, and I was running by, high-fiving them. By the time I hit the last kid, I was weeping. And I kept running. And I finished. So even though I hit the wall, they gave me energy. They shared their young energy with me and helped me to finish. So a part of that, I believe, comes from Kozanchut, sitting in the cold water, sitting in a hot lodge, you know, developing my mind my body and my spirit, then with the help of others like those children. So you accept the support that comes to you in whatever shape or form it is in your Kusantu journey. If you do Kusantu, that means you're accepting that you're going to train yourself for the rest of your life to be a good human being. And if you happen to play sports, great. It's going to help you in your sports, in your work, in your life. It's going to help you. So that's why I wanted to talk about Kwasanchu today. To share these thoughts that have been in my head. And I'd say I want young people to hear this, that Kwasanchu was a way of life. That we were taught to take care of our mind, our body, and our spirit on a daily basis. Not before a game, not before a tournament, but every day. And that sometimes it gets intensive. And I trained for a marathon, started off 10K, kept working up until I close to 42 kilometers in my training. My long runs on Sunday, 30K, all of a sudden 35K getting my body ready for the distance so my body's not freaked out when I, when I cross over a distance because my body needed to know too what I'm going to ask of it one of my teachers told me taught me to talk to my body apologize to your body he says 
if you're doing something that causes pain to your body, say, oh, I'm sorry, calves, I was getting cramps in my calves. I'm sorry. And it helped relax my muscles. I cramped quite a few times in marathon because I dehydrate. So I talk to my body. And that's part of the training. Talk to your body, talk to your mind, talk to your spirit. And thank your mind, your body, and spirit for letting you experience this. When I crossed the finish line in Barcelona, it was with such pride that I'd done it. Because I finished, and I thought I wasn't going to. Everyone I ran, I felt good. Oh, look what I done, say in my head, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that's my little story about Kuzan Chut. I encourage you to learn. Start to learn ways to take care of your mind. Mental fitness. Remember, your mind's like a muscle, and it can be strong, it can be clear, it can be aware. Your body can have tensile strength. That means inner strength. If you take care of it every day. And your spirit will have no quit. You'll have no quit in your system. You get knocked down, you get up again. You fall down, you get up again. You know, and you keep going. Kwasanchut will help you with school, with everything in your life. It teaches you a good stubbornness about bettering yourself, not being selfish, stubborn, and what they call pig-headed. <laughs> you know what you say, no, nope. I'm going to do this. Come hell or high water, I'm going to do this. Why? Because I want to. And for me, I wanted my grandchildren to follow me. I wanted to be like Papa. Run. Kwasanchut. <laughs> you know. And I believe I have accomplished that. I have granddaughters today that run. I have a son that runs marathons. And I'm so proud of them. They Kwasanchut. So I just like to encourage you to Kwasanchut too and share it with your children and grandchildren. I believe we've never lost our ways. We sort of put them aside a while, but they're still there. Pick them up because it done good for our people before and it'll do good for them today. So that's my message on Kwasanchut. I'd just like to thank you for listening. And again, I encourage you to go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Talk to us. Other people will see your messages too. Let's together beat the man-made problems that have come to all of our people because of colonization. Let's support one another, encourage one another, and teach each other a wellness way of life in our language, Kwasanchut, 
or huished we, like it means let's go, another way of saying idle no more. I'm not going to be idle anymore. I will rest. I will sleep. I will recreate. And I will work hard. So let's do all of that together. You know, and we'll all be laughing when we watch our little grandchildren running around doing their best, using statements like, look, Papa, Kwasanjut. <laughs> you know, that'll be a good day when I hear that. I know I brought some joy to elders in my community, and they said that to me, oh, Papa, Kwasanjut, you're training. And they'd laugh, and they say, good, 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 keep going, keep doing it. So, you have a good day, evening, week, whenever you listen to this podcast. Please share it with people if you think it's going to benefit anyone. Tell them to take a listen. But more importantly, you know, don't be afraid to tell people how you felt listening to the podcast or what you learned. Because one of the things about our human condition is often we feel alone, that we're the only ones that think a certain way or feel a certain way when it comes to our personal development. We all get weak. We all fall down. And we have all gotten up again. So thank you for being here and thank you for tuning in to Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.